Welcome to the Writer's Block, Episode 4, The Creator Empowerment Era, brought to you by Game of Drones, the new HBO fantasy series shot entirely from 30 feet in the air. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and The Jump. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right, is... David Avalone, uh, film guy and comic book writer and uh, man about town. If you missed uh, episode three last week, our kids' comic suit nanny with Richard Fairgray, Brenda Hickey, and Troy Little, I strongly suggest that you back it on up and check that out. Uh, we have an amazing show today. We will bring our uh, our distinguished guests on in just a minute. But before we do that, Avalone, I have a little announcement, a little thing to pimp uh, on my own. I figured I'd get it out of the way before we, sure. uh, you know, we, we get down and dirty here. Um, so uh, my next Kickstarter. Uh, is launching October 19th. Um, the pre-launch page just went up. Uh, JB, why don't we go ahead and bring that up and we can start. Um, it is a project called The Peacekeepers. It is a 64-page love letter to dark and quirky crime dramas um, okay. from me, uh, the Ringo Award-winning creator of, uh, of Action Lab's Aberrant and Banjax. Um, and a lot of fun. This is a story I've wanted to tell for God, 15 plus years and just haven't, uh, you know, found the right way to do it. Um, uh, really excited to kind of bring this to comics, uh, to bring this to Kickstarter, to bring this, uh, uh, to everybody. If, um, if you love movies like Fargo and no country for old men, um, if you love Elmore Leonard novels, if you love case a week, police dramas like the wire, uh, or true detective, um, you're going to love this thing. Um, so, uh, like I said, it goes live October 19th, uh, right now we have a pre-launch, uh, uh, page up. Um, and so you can go to Kickstarter, you can search the, the peacekeepers, or you can go to bit.ly bitly backslash the peacekeepers. And it'll land you right here. Uh, this page that we're looking at, you can click that, that beautiful green notify me on launch button and, uh, Kickstarter will send you a message the moment it is live and the moment you can order it. And, um, yeah, uh, very important for us. I mean, what a lot of people don't know is that the the first forty eight hours of a Kickstarter campaign are so crucial. They basically set the algorithm for your uh, your your project. And so, if you do really well in those first forty eight hours, then uh, Kickstarter promotes you like crazy internally. Uh, if you fall on your face, then you fall on your face, right? And so, uh, very important to kind of you know uh, get those notifications, uh, uh, get your pledge in uh, as quickly as possible. So uh, big help for us if you just go to uh, you know Bitly backslash the uh, the peacekeepers, click that notify me uh, on launch thing, and uh, and yeah, I mean you're gonna love the book. So um, who's, who's yeah, the artist so, on it? Uh, it is Davi Leon Diaz. It's actually the same uh, the same team that brought you Aberrant. So Davi Leon oh, okay, Diaz, great. he's a, a Brazilian art, uh, uh, artist, Awan uh, Joko Triono, who is kind of one of my go-to colorists in uh, Indonesia, and uh, HDE, who letters all my books. Uh, the 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 Ringo, the newly uh, Ringo Award uh, nominated HDE uh, for best mm -hmm. letters. So uh, great team, um, you know, a lot of great uh, images coming out of this thing. So you're gonna enjoy it. Great. Anyway, uh, you know, um, uh, shameless self-promotion aside, why don't we go ahead and uh, bring our, our guests in and, and get the show started? Hey. It's Lindley and Charlie. Hello. Hello. Good to see you guys. And, and Great to see you. Gal. It's we so like, good to see all of you. We like to let people introduce themselves. So, Lindley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Lindley Forrest. I am the producer and editor of 
Levin, also the president of Hex Comics, along with my two colleagues, my esteemed colleagues, Lisa K. Weber, who's the artist of Hex 11 and our chief creative officer, and Kelly Sumilano, who's our writer and also our VP of development. So we've got a little, um, got our own little um, corporation building over here. <laughs> so right. we're uh, in volume three of Hex 11 right now. So we're just head down working, trying to not lose our minds during COVID. <laughs> so hanging in there. Nice. Can, can I just say that, um, I mean, Hex 11 is is just a, I mean, it's a gorgeous book. It's one of the more kind of beautifully realized yes. books that I've read in, you know, I don't know, the last 10 years. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm such a huge fan. And, you know, it was, I, it, it was because I was a fan that, that we know each other because, um, I mean, uh, you know, I, what I love about you guys, you guys are kind of forces of nature in the sort of uh, uh, con world. You know, we don't have cons anymore. So. I know. So, I'm so, so sad like, about it. I mean, I was kind of like, I thought, oh, man, it'll be fine. It'll actually be a nice break. But then realizing that there weren't going to, like, really be any for a long, long stretch, we all started feeling like, oh, well, that's not what I meant. I didn't really want it to be forever. <laughs> I just, right. just wanted a little break. I didn't want an yeah. entire break. We love the community, man. And we, I mean, and I'm an extroverted person and, you know, I love to get out and mix and mingle and I miss it a lot. I miss it a lot. Yeah, and so you know, so if you're out there listening or, or, or watching, uh, uh, go check out Hex Eleven. It's hex11.com, right? Or is it hexcomics.com? Hexcomics.com. H-E-X-C-O-M-I-X.com. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about you know, uh, uh, you know, we'll talk more about about it later. Where to find the uh, the wares and everything, but uh, yeah. but great book, and, and just wanted to say that, that was. And, yeah. and thank yeah. you for Lisa and Kelly Sue too. I mean, Lisa's artwork is phenomenal. Yeah. And she's put a lot, I mean, she's put a lot of work into her talent and her career and her skills anyway. Um, and to see it all come together like it does in Hex 11 is just shocking. It's amazing because we look at it, you know, I love to look, we look at it over and over and over again and it never doesn't seem amazing. It's never not good, you know, it's yep. impressive. But thanks for having yeah, us on, I appreciate it. <laughs> of yeah, always, uh, uh, always happy to. I feel like you and I have done like a dozen panels together. You're always, uh, you're always throwing 100 miles an hour and painting the corners. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, you've always yeah. been really good about, um, it's nice, you know, obviously it allows you to diversify the panel a bit, get somebody on there other than dudes, which is good. Um, but you, you do great panels. Like you always have good questions. You bring together a great crowd. I always walk away like really learning something from those, which I appreciate. Um, and the audience always seems to really be engaged, which is nice. That's hard to come by. So I, pre I, I think, appreciate yeah. I think I met that. both of you, Lindley and Charlie, yeah. on, a, on a Ryland panel. Most likely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Long Beach or WonderCon, one of those. I can't remember yeah. what it was. But I, I feel like I really first fun. met you all then and then came by the booth and met uh, the delightful Kelly Sue and uh, Lisa Weber. Yes. Yes. They call me. They call me the matchmaker. <laughs> For good reason. Yeah, I think uh, the last few panels, I was sitting in between Charlie and David. It's like hey, this is my spot now. I'm in between Charlie and David. There you are again. Great place to be. I don't mind being in that sandwich at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Charlie. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, huh? Well, after that, um, you know, uh, aside from being, uh, you know, a wanted piece of bread. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm a writer, producer. Uh, I've worked in film, television, animation, and comics. Uh, I do the comic book series White Ash, The Game, uh, The Adept, a new series coming out soon called The Glarian. Uh, but I'm also co-publisher of Scout Comics. So I go back and forth between the self-published world and the publishing world and trying to bring creators together in both sides. 
So, you know, I think part of what we're going to be talking about today, I think, is creator empowerment. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years, and I'm really excited to talk about that with you guys today. And yes, your panels are incredible. And, uh, you know, mainly the Hex booth at uh, every convention I go to is one of the must stops. Um, you know, I, that's where I actually met you first. I came up to your, I had seen you in a Rhineland's panel, and I came up to you afterwards right. to talk um, to talk about what you guys were doing on Kickstarter, and that's where yeah, we first. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you've so. been a great resource as well. I mean, that's. I mean, we none of us had any experience in the comic book world, Lisa Kelly or I, um, and so we just kind of wandered into it. Like, well, we'll figure this out. You know, <laughs> I can understand Kickstarter. We'll just do this on our own or what have you. Um, but I. It, I was and have continued to be impressed at how um, helpful every, you know, people were like, we started connecting and meeting with people. And again, like the community was just so great. Um, and since we had, you know, we'd already made decisions and we had our own ideas about things, but to really find such like-minded people and have them really uh, have knowledge for us to, and be willing to share it was, is just one of the best things about it. It is the great thing about this community, right? Um, I mean, it's something that I, you know, I sort of noticed right off the bat. Um, I mean, because I, I was coming from a different business too. I was coming from the film business. Kind of had, you know, you dive into these deep waters, sort of have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but there were, you know, a dozen people there to teach me how to swim right off the bat. And, and you know, and, uh, you know, Charlie was one of them, uh, particularly when, when it comes to Kickstarter and everything. And we can talk more about that later. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess with the panels, that was, um, that was what it was for me is that I felt a sense of, uh, of sort of duty to kind of pay it forward, right? I mean, because, um, yeah. I mean, I, I started doing panels maybe, I don't know, four or five years ago or something like that, staging panels. And a few years before that, I was the guy sitting in the panel trying to figure out how to do this, right? Um, having no idea. And, you know, you sit in panels and some of them are great. Um, some of them are terrible. <laughs> um, many of them are inadequate, right? Um, but if you sit in enough of them, you eventually kind of gather the right information and you get to know the people who have the right information, right? And yeah. so once I had it, and once I was able to kind of launch my own book uh, in, in a semi-successful way, then, um, you know, there were all these people that I saw that were kind of still struggling and still sitting in those panels and still trying to figure out how to do this. And it's like, well, I have all the information. Why don't I just... You know, why don't I just put it up in front of everyone? Um, and that's kind of been awesome and very rewarding, you know. And um, and and what's cool now is I've been doing it long enough, you know, after after a couple of years now, where people that were sitting in my panels two, three, four years ago are now coming up to me, uh, you know, with finished books. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, you know, here, uh, uh, Dark Horse <laughs> just published my book. And, like, I have you and the people on your panel to thank, you know. Uh, uh, you guys inspired me, like, you know, four years ago or three years yeah, we, ago. We did um, a panel. That's awesome. we, we did a panel, I think, at the last mainframe, and a woman was on the panel, and it was a Kickstarter panel, and she said that she had kickstarted something after seeing all of us do a Kickstarter panel. <laughs> to me, yeah. that was like, I just need, just give me the one win, man. I'm good. Oh. Like <laughs> that one person sitting in one of those panels then went on to successfully kickstart something. I'm like, so the information was worthwhile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I actually, so I actually contributed at least the one thing to the world, and that's a, uh, you know, and what you said about paying it forward is very much, uh, you know, I last uh, Long Beach Comic Expo or con, I can't remember which one it was. I did a solo panel uh, stand-up routine about networking <laughs> and 
networking and breaking in and you know my the 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 gong i wanted to ring the loudest was it's a community make yourself a part of the community right. you know ask not what comics can do for you <laughs> ask what you can do for comics and as goofy as that sounds it is it is a big part of it and you know and the guy who asked me to give that lecture stand up comedy routine uh jim uh jim mclaughlin like jim knows me because i volunteered for the hero initiative uh Jim runs a hero initiative and a yeah. friend of mine put me in touch with him and I found out one of my old heroes from my youth Russ Heath was in he passed away now but he was in you know ill health and needed some caretaker stuff and I took him out to lunch once and bought him some groceries and sort of looked around his place and then went home and ordered everything he needed for his home on Amazon and sent it to him and all that <laughs> uh, but I was like that's like a I'm giving this lecture on networking today because I successfully networked with the guy who sets up these panels like it's a very it's a very cause and fact very obvious cause direct and link thing. yeah totally. Uh, and it's easy it's it's not hard to find ways to do that it's not hard to find ways to be of service and to be helpful and to be friendly yeah um yeah for sure it's nice if, yeah. you, if you, some people struggle with connecting with people in general. Like that's not always everyone's strong point, but I think often when you find that you have something in common, it can kind of help lower the anxiety and help you kind of cross that bridge. And if it's hard, then you can always find a friend who doesn't mind breaking the ice. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> take somebody. Right. Well, and, and I think I think you're completely right, especially for a lot of comic book writers and creators. Being outgoing, being extroverted, is not always their thing. Yeah. Um, but but what you're talking about being helpful, you can mm -hmm. be helpful without being extroverted. You can be supportive without being extroverted. And people can can see that even if you're not the person who's lighting up the room, if what they hear from you is supporting other people, then they naturally you know are inclined to want to talk to you because they hear you supporting other people, being part of the community. So you don't always have to reach out. You just have to be part. And yeah. if you're yeah. part in a positive way, that begins the networking process without having to really try to find your way in, you know, if that's yeah. not your, your strength. For sure. No, and and there, there, there are kinds of outgoing that are terrible and unsuccessful and you shouldn't do them. One of the reasons that I decided to do the networking thing at Long Beach Comic Expo is the previous one, six months pre prior, someone else had done the networking thing. And then at the party, at the cocktail party afterwards, Someone who I know had been in that panel walked up to me and thrust their self-published comic in my hand. <laughs> and I was like, well, someone needed to tell you not to do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm afraid I am going to tell this as an anecdote now for the rest of my life as don't, don't, don't walk up to me at the cocktail party and hand me, talk to me first, buy me dinner, you know, like... <laughs> Don't don't shove your comic in my hands. That's that's not the way. Smooth moves, you know. And I think part of it is, you know, some of the people who do that are overcompensating for being shy. They don't, you know, like they can't open a conversation. So it's like, here, let my comic speak for me. Yeah. And, I made know, this. Just, <laughs> as a as a side thing, uh, the, the one of the great books on filmmaking is called In the Blink of an Eye by uh, Walter Murch. And he opens yeah. with something that I opened with myself, and I. He he tells an anecdote about Stravinsky, great classical music conductor composer, Stravinsky. Stravinsky wrote a book on how to be a conductor, 
Stravinsky's advice is mostly self-control. Keep it, keep it reined in. Keep it controlled. That's fantastic advice if you're Igor Stravinsky, who was a wild man. But how many timid conductors read that book and went, oh, I, I need to calm down a bit. I need to rein it in. It's like, no, that's, that's actually terrible advice for you. So <laughs> the point Merch is getting to uh, by the, with that anecdote is I always tell people, take the advice coming from me very much as the advice coming from me. <laughs> not, not, nothing is general. There are no general rules. I can only tell you what I can experience, you know. And yes, I'm an outgoing person, and it's easy for me to say, oh, just go around talking to people. Let's go do it. What's wrong <laughs> right. with you? Like, that's terrible advice for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. It's good advice if you're outgoing. <laughs> you <know>? uh, <laughs> exactly. But uh, it's harder for me to say, well, if you have trouble talking to strangers, then what do you do? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. There's a challenge, but this community is very welcoming and that's also nice. I mean, we never, we kind of weren't sure what to expect in the beginning because we launched issue one right during the Gamergate thing. And so there was a whole bunch of attention to that. And then we had a lot of people being like, oh, hey, you're an all female comic company making a you know, really diverse comic and really wanted to, like, to catch our insights on all of that. And we were like, well, I wonder if I had not really thought of it as be that it was going to be an issue until that. And I was like, oh, are we going to go to this con and have all these people like come up and say really terrible stuff to us or something like tell us to get out of here or what have you. But we didn't. Nothing happened at all. And we've not really had yeah. We've not had any problems at all, honestly. No one, we've had, we had a couple of weird emails. Sure. You know, but I mean, nothing has been, it's been nothing that would make you think that this was a, an inhospitable place at all. No. You know? Yeah, though, I mean, it's, it, it's obvious if you've dealt with people like this your whole life, but it's like those people are always cowards. Yeah, right. You They're know? not coming at you. Yeah. The confrontation, the confrontation you have with a comic skate guy at a comic book convention is he stands 300 feet away and, Films you on his phone, zoomed in, and that's that. That's the confrontation they have with you. They don't actually. Well, walk up yeah, to I mean, you're, yeah. yeah, you're talking about keyboard warriors, and and the beauty yeah. of a con is it's uh, the beauty of a con, particularly like an artist alley or or you know where you're talking about where you guys are setting up a booth is it, it is a very safe place because I mean you have um you know in any con that you guys set up a table you will have. 20, 30, 40, 50 people that immediately have your back. Like if anyone gets out of line, like yeah. that person's going to be dragged out of there by their, their <laughs> ears, like in about 10 seconds. Yeah, um, sure. That's, that's what I've noticed. I mean, I, you know, um, I mean, every con I've, I've always been to, I, I'm in a line, you know, uh, I know the 10 people on either side of me. Yeah, definitely. And you know, no matter what happens I have, and, and it, you know, it, it's kind of what we're, we're hitting on, right. Is that, um, I mean, we all kind of, live or die together. You know, we either all yeah. lift each other up or we all fall on our faces together. Um, and that and is, also, that's, by the way, at your first con, when you don't know a dozen people at the other tables, you walk over and say hello to them. And that's really all it takes. You yeah. know, it's not, again, people want to engage with you. Uh, you know, the, if you're, I can say, if you're shy, you know, talk about what's on the table. Talk yeah. about what's, well, you know, like engage people over their art and they will love you and they mm -hmm. will want to, they, people want to talk about their stuff. They and people do. are, most people are at their best when they're talking about what they love. Yeah. That is, it's a, a great thing. People will bring up their art books. You know, like 
and want like Lisa to see them or this is the kind of stuff I do. And it is those conversations are some of my favorite. Like how you know or how did you get where you're I mean, how did you get to be able to do this? I think I want to do this. Do you go to art school and having those conversations with people because it's nice to know that these people have a passion and they found an outlet to communicate, to connect with someone, to say, help me make this real if this is something I can really do. Tell me what that's about. Show me the way, you know. Um, and it's so important because the arts are weirdly, you know, they're kind of like um, shrouded in mystery. Because you know, the, the, I have a background in theater and, and musical theater. And so music and theater, which are both like so subjective as a craft, um, that it's all about like, it, and, and when you even like through the education of those things, it's all about who you know and how much money you have. And, you know, so it's really never about like how talented you are or what your work ethic is. It's all these other things that make it feel like it's not very tangible. And mm. so and it was there is no like con for theater people, you know, or con for musicians or whatever. I mean, I'm sure there are music oriented cons or what have you, but it's not the same. And going to these things and having those people like students be able to come up and connect with artists, connect with people they've maybe been reading their whole lives and have them pay attention to them and give them real insight. And at least just the confirmation that, yeah, there's a path and you can definitely get on it. It's really um, it's uplifting for sure, but it's also it's powerful. You know, it's it's awesome to have access. Access is everything in so many ways. I also think that we're, you know, the industry over the last five years has really shifted. Um, unlike the entertainment industry, which is still like a nebulous, how do you break in kind of path? How do you get to make a movie? How do you mm -hmm. do these things? You know, now you can make comics. You don't have to make comics with publishers. You don't have to make comics with like two or three places and kind of navigate a gauntlet to be able to, you know, to get there. Mm -hmm. um, if you have something good, there are legitimate paths forward for you to be able to make it to find the financing now that's not, you know, in, in the past that just wasn't there and printing costs were too high. Yeah. And, you know, like, so all of these things were barriers that are now gone. So the biggest mm -hmm. barrier is, you know, going back to those things, it's your work ethic, it's your talent, it's putting the project together. If, if you can do those things, you can find a way to get your comic out there um, in a lot of different ways that just wasn't possible a bunch of years ago. Yeah. And, and, and that is a perfect transition into, uh, you know, today's topic. Uh, we've danced around it just a little bit, but Charlie just brought us right back. So let me go ahead and uh, let's hit the pause button for a second. Let me read the food for, for thought uh, for today. And then uh, and then Lindley, you can kind of, uh, 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 you know, uh, take us home with this stuff. Sure. Um, so, uh, uh, of course, the, the topic is uh, creator empowerment today. Uh, that's kind of what Charlie was uh, was hitting on there. <laughs> and. So it is perhaps the understatement of the year to say that the comics business is quickly and, and radically changing, period, but particularly in, in COVID's wake. Shops are closing. We had pencils down everywhere, firings, layoffs, controversies abound. Um, the negatives are plenty, and I feel like we've been hammering that stuff uh, for, for weeks here, of course. Um, but it boils down mostly to the fact that there are fewer mainstream opportunities for creators now. Um, but I want to focus today as uh, you know, as, as sort of Charlie was uh, was starting to hint at on on some positives. Um, so it seems to me that all of that ugly aside, we're actually entering an era of creator empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, we've we've witnessed something uh, very similar in the NBA these past uh, uh, ten years. There was 
this sort of era of, of player empowerment, uh, folks like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, they sort of ripped control back from the owners. Uh, they started deciding where they play, who they play with, uh, who the team trades for, or so on and so forth. So what I'm asserting here is that something very similar is necessarily happening in the world of comics right now. Um, creators are no longer waiting for permission for a publisher to make their books. Uh, they are seemingly less and less content to give the lion's share of their profits the way to said publishers. Um, they are more and more just going out and you know making it happen themselves, right? Um, they're skipping the middlemen, going directly to consumers via their own websites, like like you guys do, Lindley, via Kickstarter, uh, like you guys also do, like Charlie does, like I do, like Avalone's done. Um, and we're seeing this at all levels of the game, really. There are the, the you know, the peons like us. Uh, um, I just ran my, my first campaign completely out of necessity, right? Um, you know, things were shut down, fewer opportunities, fewer doors open, even for a guy who's been around the block a couple of times and has a Ringo sitting on his shelf. Um, uh, needed, to, needed to figure out how to get books in people's hands, right? So, um, uh, and then there are the giants, of course, like, you know, Kevin Eastman uh, and most recently Scott Snyder um, who are doing it mostly because they just end up getting a much better deal. Right. Scott's campaign was at uh, 218,000 uh, wow. when last I checked, I think Kevin Eastman's made a hundred, 125,000 a couple of times. Fucking Keanu Reeves just made $1.5 million. <laughs> uh, so uh, there are opportunities for, for everyone in, uh, uh, you know, in this, this new world, this brave new world. And, um, you know, for a lot, it's, uh, it is a much better deal. Um, so I've set the table a bit here. Why don't we sit down and eat? Lindley, uh, give us some reactions to that. Well, I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how we started this whole thing. We weren't even pretending like we were going to be part of the mainstream mm -hmm. comic book world. We were just like, Lisa said she had this idea and I guess I said, I have some free time, let's figure it out. And I'm as a, you know, got a background in IT and uh, I was a technologist for a long time. So I was like, we can, and I've, you know, I've dealt with businesses and setting up little businesses, small businesses, medium sized businesses. I thought we can do this. We can make this book. Let's just do this and see what happens. Um, and it was, I mean, it has its challenges and it requires having some administrative skills and um, you know, not having a lot of anxiety about kind of blazing your own path, I guess, on, on some level. But it was remarkably easy to actually get it up and going, you know, for very little money. We had no money. We had like six dollars between us. Um, but because of modern day tools like uh, Shopify and then certainly social um, tools like Kickstarter and uh, the, all those kind of uh, crowdfunding, you know, crowdsourcing, funding options, whatever. Dude, the coronavirus is totally eating my brain. I can't even <laughs> with, I used to be so clever, so witty. Um, <laughs> so the, it, we just kind of, we were able to kind of lay this platform plus with like digital delivery of comics. We didn't even have to print right off the bat. Um, and then the printing that we did do, that we were just such doing little small um, runs of them for shows that we'd have something that we could connect with the people and they would have something to walk away with. And, and it looks great printed too. So it was like, it just, it was just basically fancy advertising or whatever for us. And it worked out really well. And I've been a huge proponent because I have a problem with authority and I have a problem with top down structures, you know, and I don't think they serve people and especially artists. They do not serve artists. I mean, every single industry where the money is made by the art. The artists get shafted 
all the time. It is always business over, over the individual. And I just don't have a lot of tolerance for that. So, you know, I was all for it. And I saw it as a technologist too coming up that, you know, the last 20 years, this has been unprecedented. We've had like a huge shift from industry to individual. And there, the, the artist now because of MacBook Pros, iPads, all of this personal technology mixed with all of the tools of the internet, there's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't define. And now because of all these communication tools, you can connect with anyone. You need to take a class, take one. You need to figure out how to you know, set up your accounting system. Go online, go to YouTube, find one, somebody online and do it. You can go to, you can get a, you know, a subscription to zero for $25 a month and have yourself a fully integrated accounting program. And the consultants that you need to connect all right there in that one place, like the resources are abound. Um, but I also think it was interesting when I, when you sent the food for thought, the first thing that came to me, I've been watching a lot of Ghostbusters lately because I'm a four-year-old and man, nice. And it's Halloween now, so it's all like, ooh, ghosts. Um, and I'm a huge fan of just the, the, all the actors anyway. But in the beginning, when they, get, when they get kicked out of the university, you remember because, of course, uh, Bill Murray was over there being a slime ball or whatever. <laughs> so they kick him out. Yeah, and it, it, it hasn't aged well at all. No, it, well, it's strangely in some ways it hasn't, but in other ways it's like well, you cannot deny the comedy of it. It's just oh, sure. Yeah. But, well, um, the, 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 the movie has aged just fine. That 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 particular section uh, yeah. has not aged well. Yeah. No, well, and also, even in the '80s, I have to say, even in the '80s, seeing it as a teenager when it was a new movie, making the EPA, the Environmental Protection yeah. Agency, the bad guys, I was like, did, oh, Ronald, did Ronald Reagan write the script to this thing? What I would love to have just an entire podcast discussion about <laughs> those types of movies and the messaging. Yeah, because I was raised on those movies. Like I was yeah. a Saturday Night Live kid. I was weaned literally oh, yeah, watching Saturday Night Live. So I was like, I took all of that in as if it was the truth, you know. And that was this when we started. We watched it for the first time, like I don't know, six months ago or whenever. It was the first time I'd seen the movie in a really long time. I was struck. I was like, oh, I forgot it's the EPA. You know, the guy that they call Dickless or whatever is the EPA. Right. Yeah. Check. Oh my God. Literally just trying to prevent New York from being poisoned by atomic waste. Yeah. So he's totally. the bad guy. Totally. It's just so <laughs> remarkable. My point to that was Ray in the beginning, he says, after they get kicked out and they're standing out um, drinking out of some booze bottle. And he says this, he says, personally, I like the university. They gave us money and facilities and we didn't have to produce anything. You've never been out of college. You don't know what it's like out there. I thought about that because... There, that's true. And even if we're artists underneath these huge conglomerate structures, we're, the game we're playing is a very different game. You know, we get to create, but then there's also cushion there. You know, they got a kitchen over there for us to sit in. And I have the luxury to bitch about someone else and to bitch about the reason I'm not getting things done or why I'm not as successful as I want to be. It gives us this like thing to, like, to rage against. And if, if you are going to be an independent artist and you are going to take control, of your life and your output, it requires a different set of skills. You know, you can't really, you really have to take that energy and turn it into the true power of creating. Um, and there's not a lot of room for blaming others when it's just you sitting there yeah. going, oh, well, I didn't get it done I, today. I think one of the things that you're hitting on is about responsibility. 
Yeah, and I think favorite. you know the, the 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 creator empowerment, like what goes hand in hand with that, is you have to know what you're trying to empower, and you have to know what your business model in particular is. So, so if you are a person, um, you know, it, it depends on what level you're at and what you're trying to empower. If you're someone new coming to the game, they, you know, have never made a comic before, you're, you know, what this new era can let you do is get your comic out to a group of people, right? To a small group of people. If you already have a track record, it helps augment that and you can get it to um, more people. Um, so I, I think, you know, in all of this, we need to understand who we are and what we're trying to do. Um, you know, like what Scott Snyder can do on Kickstarter is different than someone new coming to Kickstarter. But there's also certain responsibilities that go along with that. He's going to need to be able to fulfill a hundred, uh, you know, a thousand packages that he's going to be sending out. So, mm -hmm. like, you just have to go through all the permutations, and there's a lot more opportunity, but you're taking on a lot more responsibility. And it lets you do things that you were never able to do before. But with that, you're going to have to do things that you never were doing before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well said. Yeah, no, you, you, it, is, it is all about, uh, you know, the good news is you can do whatever you want. The bad news is you can do whatever you want. And <laughs> you can't really say, oh, I can't make that because, you know, X, Y, Z is stopping me. I mean, it's the same thing. I used Kickstarter to produce the last film I produced. Uh, an Indiegogo to do post-production on it. And uh, yeah, it, it's you, you, it's a thing where you have to get off your ass and do it, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and it's, it's not easy. It's not, you know, to convince a whole bunch of people to give you $100,000 or $50,000 or even $10,000. It is a challenge. Um, but the tools are so the world has changed so much in what you can and cannot do. Uh, I bought myself a new, when I produced the last movie, I bought myself a new computer to edit the film. And uh, I think I may have spent $1,400 on all of the post-production post -production equipment that I needed to make a feature film that five months later I was sitting in a movie theater seeing it on a screen 80, you know, 80, 100 feet across and thinking literally this was on a hard drive on my in my living room yesterday yeah. and i unplugged my hard drive in my living room where the cats were playing with it brought it to this theater plugged it into their projector and boy it sure looks like a real movie only i have to know it was in my living room yesterday as opposed to you know at photocam in the valley or anything like that and it's you know in comics the logistics compared to a movie are microscopic yeah. um and also part of it, which is worth talking about, is the, in terms of empowerment, is the global empowerment of being able to connect with anyone anywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm doing one of my dream projects right now uh, for an anthology, for a comics anthology. Uh, I had an opportunity to take an old story idea I've wanted to do forever and make an eight-page sort of pilot for it. Um, the artist lives in Italy. I have never met her. I do not know if I will ever meet her. Uh, life is long. I hope I get to go out to Rome and uh, have a have an espresso with her someday. But uh, she's someone whose work I admired, and I was uh, connected with her by an editor friend of mine. And I was like, "You think Sylvia would want to do this?" And they're like, "Yeah, great. Give her give her a shout out." And uh, you know, that's to me that's remarkable. 
you know, I wake up in the morning and because she's nine hours ahead of me, I'm like, oh, look, her workday just finished. And here's here's eight pages of layouts uh, that were magically created by elves while I was sleeping. And the world is full to bursting with talented people who are just waiting for an opportunity to do good work. It's such an important element there is that um, how this has kind of become a, a sort of worldwide affair. Right. I mean, because I remember, um, you know, I, I really wanted to get in comics into comics back in college. But it was just like impossible then, yeah. right? I mean, just uh, you know, I mean, you basically had to know an artist in your town. You're dealing with exclusively like uh, um, uh, physical drawings, right? Um, any uh, any revisions were such a pain in the ass, um, and so it felt like you know, if you weren't a professional who was just like in the you know in the rhythm of doing this, it would take like a year to draw a single issue or something like that. And then you have to, then you have to know a colorist and, and have it colored by hand and then, yeah. you know, physical lettering and all that stuff. And it was just like, we tried it and we failed miserably and it was horrible. And, you know, so then I, then I decided to go off and make movies. Um, <laughs> but cut to, you know, about five years ago, um, it just got, you know, it got crazy uh, um, uh, easy almost like, um, you know, I mean, part of it is kind of the social media revolution, right? Um, you know, there are these massive uh, groups on Facebook uh, connecting comic book writers and artists that have like 30,000 members. And, and all it is is, um, uh, you know, it's just just artist after artist after artist posting being like, hey, here's my here's my amazing work. Uh, you know, here's my page rate. Uh, I need a job and, and over and over and over again. Um, digital workflow has kind of simplified things, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so much. Um, most of my artists, they haven't, uh, um, you know, they haven't drawn on paper in five years. You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, if I want a revision, they do it in 10 seconds digitally. Mm -hmm. They uh, drop a file in a Dropbox folder. It hits me in, in 10 seconds. And uh, and I'm like, ah, no, 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 tweak this a little bit. Um, I mean, it is like, it is 10,000% easier to do this than it was five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever. And so cut to five years ago now, uh, I mean, you know, cut to now, like, um, you know, back in college, I couldn't get this off the ground. Now I have like five books in the pipe. I have artists working for me in Brazil, in Mexico, in Hungary, uh, um, in Portugal. Um, my go-to colorist is in Indonesia, as I said, at the thing of this thing, my letter in the UK, um, you know, I, I pay them all via PayPal. Uh, uh, they don't even speak English, most of these guys. Like, I, I send them an email. They drop it into Google Translate. They get about 95% of what I'm, you know, what I'm after. Uh, that final 5% can be a little tricky sometimes. Uh, but it works, and it works quickly. And it is, it's never easy, but compared to, you know, the Stone Age of my college days, uh, it is amazing. Um, and so again, long-winded way of saying, like, um, I'm going to say this in every panel that I'm on, but it has never been more possible or more reasonable to get your comic uh, book done. So if we, you know, if we talk about empowerment, of course, like, we need to talk about uh, opportunities in publishing and opportunities in distribution and all of those things, but just the mere fact that we can now get our books done when we couldn't before is fucking earth-shattering, right? And even, even just the basic communication tool mm -hmm. on the internet, um, you know, since I first worked with Dave Acosta, who's drawn probably 50% of my comic book output, uh, first worked with him four or five years ago. And we've been talking on Facebook. If I try to imagine the number of long distance telephone calls that would have been required 
and the amount of him mailing me pages and me mailing them back like mm-hmm. i can't even i can't even begin to imagine that the casualness of that communication that he can send me a panel and say is this what you meant and i go yes i was looking at something yesterday where where he had drawn a character backed up against the wall and i wrote back and said actually she's on a roof so that should be a cityscape behind her not a wall and he went oh right i didn't didn't catch that in the script and it's like that tiny adjustment would have taken 3 weeks with telephone and mail yeah <laughs> like it would have it would have been a nightmare uh, before before that kind of communication. And uh, the ability to do that, and even the ability, forget even working together, the ability to maintain those friendships and those connections. In the Back in the day, you know, you had your, com- your convention community, and I remember this from before, from the before times, and you'd see them at conventions, and you didn't really exchange numbers, and you didn't really see each other when it wasn't convention time. And now, you know, I, I'm on Facebook, I'm, a, I'm friends with an extraordinary number, number of professionals who were people I idolized in the 80s and thought were like the most amazing comic book creators in the 80s. That's the uh, coolest. And it is the coolest. I was walking, I was at New York, and but it, is, it allows for a familiarity that wouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I met Matt Wagner at a con five years ago and we shook hands and said hello and, you know, sent him a friend request on Facebook. And then, you know, five years later, I was walking through New York Comic Con and I passed his booth and hadn't noticed it. And he called out, hey, David, how are you? And I yelled, hey, Matt. And my wife standing next to me said, that feels pretty good, right? <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that feel pretty good? Matt Wagner just, you, just, you know, tried to get your attention. And I was like, yeah, that, that, is, that is actually pretty nice. Um, and, but that community, it was so much harder to maintain mm-hmm. than it is now. And that familiarity that even if you're not talking to people, they're kind of seeing you all the time. Mm-hmm. It's in a way, um, it's like a great equalizer. Yeah. You know, and again, like those, there was, there was this, this strata. Mm-hmm. And if you were just some dude being like, I really want to make comics. There was really no way for you to get through that door. Yeah, of that strata. Much less talk to somebody like Matt Wagner or whoever yeah. is your, no, you know, whoever's the top look, of that pyramid or whatever. The the world is still not a fair meritocracy. No. It still privileges all sorts of people. Yes. it's still hard. It's still who you know. It's still the ability to break, you know, break into people's social circles and things like that. But there's a degree to which, and I noticed this. There's a degree to which the internet is a meritocracy that it's never been before. Before social media, right before social media, I was on a writer's group on a very on a kind of website that was at the time called the Tight Circle. And it was basically a bulletin board. And it was mostly me and uh, sitcom writers and famous and semi-famous actors and whatever. And the fascinating thing in that room is people did kiss the celebrities' asses. Absolutely. Hmm. But when I had the best joke, it was the best joke. It didn't matter that I wasn't the guy writing on Frasier or The Simpsons. And it didn't matter that I wasn't, you know, Carrie Fisher was in there. Didn't matter that I wasn't Carrie Fisher. The best joke won. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people couldn't, and Twitter's the same way. There are a lot of people 
who were absolutely nobody made one good joke that one famous person noticed and retweeted. And now those people are celebrities in and of themselves through nothing other than the fact that on one day they caught a cultural moment perfectly Mm -hmm. and made the perfect joke, the perfect observation. I don't recommend that as a career path. Uh, try to have try to have the best joke of the day on Twitter is a fool's errand. I'd never but been. It's still, you know, and it's like that with art. It's like you know, if you if you have great art and you can get people's eyes on it, they're not going to say, "Oh, but I've never heard of you. Right. Why should I care about your art?" And Most that's... of them are going to say, oh, I wouldn't have to pay you that much because I've never heard of you. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's kind of the equalizer in that. I mean, obviously, you have, and we talk a lot to people who want to start their own books. We've kind of consulted a handful of folks who have ended up doing their own thing. But so much of it is like, it's got to be good. The art's got to be good. It's got to be good. Not just because, I mean, not just because you're an independent artist, but because things that aren't good don't sell very well, you know? So it's like, spend the time, take what it takes, hire who you need to hire. Don't get in a rush because what you need to focus on is this being the highest quality output you can create, especially if it's like your first time because you're laying the groundwork. You're going to try to build that fan base or whatever. Um, But that again, also, it's never been easier to do that. It's, you've, there's never been more access to that. And on the same thing with the global thing, both the, having access to um, the global marketplace of artists and colorists and uh, letterers and all of it is also that, I mean, we have fans in 70 countries. Wow. That's crazy. We could have never, we could have never done anything like this if this was still like a print market that just wouldn't have ever happened. Um, and we make a substantial amount of our kind of monthly income. It's not a ton, but it's like substantial enough to keep our lights on just through comiXology, through submit and unlimited. And those, and that's because it's a worldwide audience out there. That's remarkable. We have people who pay $32 in shipping so that we will ship them volumes to Australia or South Korea. And it's like, that is like the, the of all, I mean, it's, there's so much of this that's super cool, but that to me, I was like, wow, this is, it's well, really I, I think what, Go ahead. It goes back to also just having your own brand, right? And your brand yeah. has to be creativity. And we're in a time of empowerment, but what your brand is, what you are needs to be good. Um, yeah. But you can build that. You know, the reason that people want to buy your thing in Australia is because it's a great book. You know, and you guys have built, you know, but you haven't had just one great book. You've had several great books. So you build a fan base and you build a reputation, um, you know, and, and I'm, you know, yeah. And, and I, I'm the same way. Like there are people who will pay those high shipping rates because they know what they're going to get from the things that I've done in the past is going to be good and they're willing to pay for it. Yeah. Um, but so I, I, th- I think when it, when it comes down to like, you can get empowered and then you just have to reach a place where you have to decide what you're going to do with that empowerment. And I think what you know you guys have done with Hex is you've built a brand, you've built a business, you're doing your own, you know, you're your own small publishing company that does one big product, right? It's mm-hmm. the Hex line, um, yeah. and and it's amazing. And you guys and do we that. We really want to well. expand on that, but you know, you gotta first right, thing right, first. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I, th- I think like like when, when creators think about that, you know, like that's what they have to also think about. What's your end goal? What are you trying to do? 
Are you trying to build the next hex where it's going to be this independent company that everyone wants to have in their shops built around one title? Are you trying to be a writer whose job it is, you know, are you trying to work your way up to write for Marvel or DC? Are you trying to create a brand that you want to be in comic book shops everywhere? Empowerment gives you choices, but you need to know where you're headed because then, then there's different options for you and, and then real decisions that you have to make about how you want to go about those things. So I think mm-hmm. we're in a time right now where we all have choices because of the empowerment, but then we have to figure out the best way to achieve those things we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and no so, doubt that is the most challenging part. But, you know, part, part and parcel of all this, it's not merely quality, it's uniqueness. And that mm-hmm. comes back to being a brand. If there was a book sort of like Hex that they could get in Australia without paying $32 for it, they might read that instead. But there isn't a book sort of like Hex they can get in. You know, and that's, yeah. that's kind of all you can really sell is you know, what you specifically have to offer. It's like all the people who think, oh, I have a great idea. You know, you should write it for me. It's like, yeah, that's actually, no one, ideas aren't good. Ideas are are a dime a dozen. Anybody can have great ideas for a thing. Execution is everything. Right. You know, and that's the, I used to be terrified when I would see terrible, terrible movies that talented people made. Because as a film, I would go, how did they not know? Yeah. Like, this took them two months to shoot, and they were in an edit bay for three months. And at no point did someone say, you know what, I'm going to set the film on fire and walk away from this, because this is, this is terrible. And it is all, it is all in, in how you do it. And if you do a thing that's unique, uh, you know, I I write the Elvira and I wrote Elvira and Betty Page comics for uh, for Dynamite, and I have the ambition to be paid Marvel and DC money, but I always feel like I should whisper the part where I don't really. It's a lot easier to come up with an interesting thing to do with Elvira or Betty Page. I always use the example of Joe Casada called me tomorrow and said, "You're kicking over the Fantastic Four. I'd be very excited for what Marvel was going to pay me." And then when I hung up the phone, I would go, no, I've got to write that. I guess they fight Dr. Doom again. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just exhausted thinking about it, man. Like, I, you know, and, and look, I'm a professional and I know that if that was a Monday by Friday, I would have been like, I got a, I got a bold new take on the fantastic four, but in the abstract, like everybody wants to bite Batman. And I'm like, you know, you, you write Batman. That's great. You yeah. know, if you know, if, uh, I, I think we, I, I did have a conversation with a higher up at Marvel once and they're like, what would you like to write for Marvel? And I was like, Nick Fury. And they're like, that's not the answer we ever want to hear from people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, we're not we're not we're not here trying to find the next great Nick Fury book. I was like, um, well, that's the character I like. I'm sorry. And so so. Ch- so Charlie, I am interested in um, hearing a publisher's take on all this. I mean, we've we've talked for you know forty five minutes here about uh, creator empowerment and all the opportunities uh, folks have in the world of self publishing and and all of these things. Um, I think uh, you know it's very obvious that uh, the the role of uh, a traditional publishing company is it's you know it's 
it's very different now than it even was a few months ago. Right. Um, and, and, and what I love about Scott comics, um, you know, at at the beginning for anyone who's forgotten, you introduced yourself as the co-publisher of Scott comics, uh, is that I think Scott comics has kind of stayed on the, uh, you know, they're, they're 10 steps ahead of everyone in, in this, in my estimation. That's the, that's why I'm so excited about that company. Um, there are plenty of companies out there that are really struggling to keep their heads above water right now. Uh, and it's because they have failed to adjust. They have fa- failed to anticipate uh, Scout, you know, again, 10 steps ahead, right? Um, and then what I also like about your perspective is that you were one of us first and foremost, right? You were the guy who kind of blazed his own trail, who self-published, who used Kickstarter, who all of the, all these things. And then the, the folks who run Scout Comics, uh, you know, in their, in their wisdom, sought you out to come in and kind of shepherd the company. Ah, I didn't know that's how that happened. That's very cool. Yeah. So, so basically uh, Scout started publishing White Ash and as I was talking to them about ways that we could help promote White Ash and grow Scout to help White Ash, the discussion kept evolving to the point where they're like, well, why don't you come on board and start doing this with all of our books as, you know, as co-publisher and together yeah. we, can, you know, we can go your brand and we can grow Scout. Um, it's a great company. It's a, it's a great um, group of people and everyone that's there is uh, as a creator. Um, but you also have James Hake, who comes from a financial background and a collector background. So he understands business. And for him, you know, a, a long time ago, he was like, it's crazy that so many of these companies rely primarily on one revenue stream, which is diamond, right? Which yeah. is really like one of the best, the worst deals that you can have as a creator, right? You know, like just for, for people who aren't out there, like you don't realize that like through diamond, you know, if, if it's a three ninety nine title, the publisher might get back a dollar sixty-three, right. you know, for every issue that's sold. So it's like it's a really horrible deal, you know. If you're doing a, you know, if you're selling ten, twenty, thirty thousand copies of a comic on Diamond, it's not terrible, terrible, but you know, it's you know. But Scout also has their own website where we, you know, we we can sell things where the only people we're spending thing, money with is the creator after the shipping cost, right? So mm-hmm. you know, of that, you know, of that dollar ninety-nine. I mean, like, so then it's Scout getting a dollar ninety nine, the creator getting a dollar ninety nine, and everyone's making a lot of money off of sales. Subscription boxes. You I know, mean, like we're going through a lot of different business things, and we've actually expanded a lot during COVID um, because, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, but primarily because, you know, the people at the company, and I'll just sort of say I won't take any credit for that because some of this was, you know, in the works before I came on board, had the foresight to say we need to be looking at all these different things. And we also need to be looking at different places for um, for creators, uh, and, and they were one of the early companies that um, was looking at Kickstarter um, for creators. And they said, you know what? If if you have a book on Kickstarter, why don't you know? It's a different audience. You've kickstarted it for a thousand people. Um, maybe if you know if it's a really successful project, you brought it to a thousand people. Let us bring it to another 5,000 people, 10,000 people who have never seen your book before in comic book shops across the country. Um, so they, they understand that, um, that, you know, like the finances of independent comics mean that you might not be able to break even producing your comic book just for diamond. So, you know, they're willing to work with creators. If you need to go to Kickstarter to finance your comic first, you know, we find ways of making the comic, that version that's on Kickstarter, different than what we put out in stores. You know, even though the bulk of it is the same, it's still a different book. 
you know, beyond like, like for example, like with White Ash, um, like my first issue I did was 52 pages. For Scout, we broke it into two 26 page issues, but I also added some new content. So it was really two brand new issues that had never been out, which means the Kickstarter backers still would like to have that content, especially at a $4 book. But also, you know, like the people, um, you know, in the comic book shops, they're getting a first print of something they've never seen before because you know, it really is different audiences. There's some overlap, but there's a lot of people at comic book shops who never go to Kickstarter. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, when it comes to the role of publisher, if you're looking to work with someone who's established, you have to ask, what are those people, you know, what's that publisher going to give you that I can't do on my own? And in some cases, maybe it's just a break from having to mail out a hundred packages or a thousand packages, right? You know, which, which is worth a lot. Um, but yeah, do they absolutely. also give you, give you access to, you know, the comic book shops everywhere? Do they, like we had, we just signed a, a distribution deal with Simon and Schuster so we can put things into bookstores everywhere. Today, we just announced that we have a partnership with Mosaic. Um, so that's official. So I can now say that right now. Nice. So like we're working with a team at Mosaic who's looking through all the properties and trying to partner, you know, each comic book creator up with the right producer or actor that they had in their stable. So it gets easier to set those projects up. So if the company has things to offer you like that, I think then, you know, you as the empowered creator can find a deal that works for you. So I think like it's, it's about knowing as a career, this is like the most important thing in this time of empowerment. I can make the book. What do I want to do with it? And where do I need to go to do the right things? Do I want to do this all on my own? And I personally was at a crossroads with White Ash. I mean, it was getting very successful. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I've raised about 180,000 on Kickstarter now through the various nice. campaigns. You know, we, we have, you know, we like the last issue of White Ash went out to, you know, about 1,500 people. So that's a lot. But, you know, it's going to be not, I'm going to be mailing out 700 packages over the next two weeks myself, which is not going to be so much fun. So it's about finding that balance for me as a creator. Do I want to kind of keep ramping this up on my own or do I want to partner with someone? And if I'm partnering with someone, are they going to give me something that's worth it for me to be giving something away? And then I think, you know, that comes down to the conversation of does a company want ownership of IP? Does a co company like how much of it, you know, the publishing they're taking, all those different factors that you as an individual need to, to figure out. But I think why Scout has been doing well right now is they're promoting the brand of the creators. You know, we're adding a new page. We're working on a page for the website where it lists all the creators and the bios. Because for me personally, what I wanted to do is bring a lot of that communal aspect of Kickstarter. Mm -hmm to scout as a company so the scout creators would be promoting each other so we'd have a brand you know of of that collaboration of that everyone trying to help each other and hopefully yeah. we can build each other's brands you build the company's brands your book does better you know his book does or her book does better you know so like I, I that's you know like the vision that i have for the company is bringing that commu communal aspect to it and you know the rising tide that you know floats all ships well, yeah that sounds fantastic yeah. I, I will say that the the first Kickstarter comics Kickstarter I did, we went to a couple of publishers. We didn't after it was successful and after it was in the hands of the fans, and it was about a thousand twelve hundred people. Uh, we we went to some publishers and we didn't particularly like anybody's deal, so we decided to self publish. But man, I recommend everyone look into those numbers because it is. To put something in Diamond and put something in comic book stores the, the official way, the right way, 
those margins are painful. Yeah. <laughs> like it, gave yeah, it was not even an option for us. It, it's a funny, yeah. it's a funny thing that, you know, as a, you know, as a freelancer for comic book companies, you go like, ah, oh, these people underpay me. And then sometimes after publishing a book myself, I'm like, wow, how can they afford to pay me that much? That's, yeah, that is, exactly. That is, that is, I mean, I shouldn't say that out loud, but it's like, you know, when I see books that are performing way less well than the books that I wrote at Dynamite, and I'm just like, yikes, that's, that, that hurt. Like when I look at the bottom of the Diamond chart, the, uh, the Comicron charts it just it's physically painful to me because mm -hmm. i know what just scraping by i know how many issues is just scraping by i know how much you get helped by economies of scale you know if you're printing a million books yeah. a month as opposed to printing five thousand books a month ten thousand books a month whatever but uh you know finding out how much diamond takes and how much shipping and handling and printing you're like Comic books should be twenty five dollars. Like, yes. Certainly not inclined. It's not you know, inclined to the independent yeah. creator at all. Like the diamond structure was not created for that. It was no. built for Marvel. It was built for these huge, you know, machineries that pushed out lots and lots of books to a really fairly narrow um, distribution network. Yeah. You know, it was it was real homogenous in a lot of ways. It it did, does not scale well when you're scaling well, to a smaller level. <laughs> you know? And it's also at the shops. You know, like the shops yeah. are doing their best to try to hang on, and it's the the distribution system they have. And you know, adding another distribution system to them just means adding additional shipping costs. You know, when DC split from you know from, from marvel and started doing their own thing that meant every retailer every month now has to pay double the shipping costs because dc is no longer with diamond just for, for those people who are uh, you know right. who, who don't know how the ins and outs of the system work dc decided to do their own thing so they partnered with you know, with dc and luna to put books out but that means every retailer now has to do an order from diamond and an order from Luna distribution if they want to get their DC books. So they're paying an extra two or $300 a month at least in shipping to be able to just to get their DC product. So, you know, it's, it's difficult for them um, to try to figure out those permutations. And, you know, if you have an independent comic, and, and I know you probably know this from Hex, like distributing outside of Los Angeles where you can walk into the shops is incredibly difficult, right? Because yeah. it's not cost effective for you to mail books places. It's not, you know, the retailers outside of ones who have seen you at conventions don't know the quality of the book, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, you know, so like, and when I was doing White Ash, I was, you know, having it distributed through Scout. I was calling around to places and it was wonderful to be able to say, hey, I've got a new comic book from Scout that's in previews. And they're like, oh, okay, I know that company. It doesn't matter that I don't know you. So like they knew the brand. Mm -hmm. And they automatically wanted to talk to me and order one copy for their store <laughs> because, because you know, like, like, and that's that's the crazy thing. Like, I, I'm I'm on these retailer boards now because I'm a, a publisher, and you see what they're ordering. And you know, Vault was making all of their number ones returnable, fully returnable, so no risk to the retailers. And this big retailer poster is like, this is great. They're fully returnable. So I'm ordering one for my chain of shops, one copy of a fully returnable comic for his in chain of like six or eight stores because like in his mind, it wasn't worth it to order more than that. You know, he stayed with the bread and butter. And like, this is a guy who, I won't, you know, he's a big name 
in the retailer industry. And that's just the mindset because these people have been yeah. doing things for 30 yeah. years the same way. So, yeah. you know, like for, for the independent creator, you need to be allied with a company that's going to put you, that has relationships with great shops. Um, yeah. You know, a store that you should look into um, is, do you know Jen King, who has uh, Space Cuties, uh, Commander Jen King's uh, Space Collection collection? Uh-uh. Are you talking to me? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's I don't her. know that. That's, that's one that you should specifically look into. She's one of the largest retailers. She has a huge shop. I can, I can email you after. Will you email me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She runs, <laughs> she runs something called the Comic Book Shopping Network, okay. um, which is a consortium of about 35 stores at this point, which do live streams on Facebook selling books. Very but cool. She, but she is also really behind um, getting women creators in into her stores. And like this, it's her network. It's her network. Yeah. Like she's she started with another with another um, retailer, but um, she's also a huge supporter of independent books. As she told us, you know, like I've seen her last two months, she's ordered more Scout than she's ordered Marvel or DC. Um, wow, very cool. You know, it's so like so she is, you know, and and she's great. She was just a, a finalist, one of the two finalists for the Eisner Award for Best Retailer. Um, nice. And so like she is great. Her store is great. But like as the independent, if you're doing this on your own, you have to find those retailers who are willing to take a chance, and that's really hard. That's yeah. where a publisher can help. Setting up the IP, if you don't happen to live in Los Angeles and have your own connections, that's where a publisher can help. Mailing out all those packages, that's where a publisher can help. Yeah. So again, like Scott Snyder right now has done his Kickstarter, and I'm sure he had a really good time making $200,000, but you know, he's going to have to fulfill that. He's going to have to hire a fulfillment company. It's, oh, yeah. you know, like for him, it's probably not going to be worth his time to try to do two or three of these a year. He might do one of these every couple of years, and then he might turn to image and have image uh, put out the colored version of, you know, this book that he just did, which is my guess. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, uh, I can't believe it wasn't colored, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, like, but like that, the, that's the, the, you know, that's the thing. Like, and this is what I'm talking about when you're doing mm -hmm. as an independent creator, keeping something for the publisher. So, sure. you know, so he does this $200,000 black and white Kickstarter. Now he can go to image and say, okay, I'm going to take 30,000 that I got from this and have the book colored and you can put it out again for me as colored single issues. You know, it was a 70 page thing as three or four single issues, you know, and, and he can make a mm -hmm. killing image can make a killing, but most of the cost was paid for the early adapters. You know, it's like it's like thinking about premium cable versus Netflix. Yeah. You know, like it's like when do you want the book? Are you willing to pay? Like Kickstarter is for the people who want it first. You know, they want it now. They're willing to pay a premium for it, and then you find a publishing partner who's willing to put it out afterwards, and you want to give them a slightly different version, something that's sellable. Um, and then the people in the shops get it for four dollars instead of twenty dollars a year later. Well, and you know, you know the yeah. my my uh, my business partner you know, it sort of invented this model before the internet with the first issue of the Ninja Turtles. And I was reminded of that because you're talking about Scott Snyder. It's like, how many publishers have made money off the fact that those first issues in the Ninja Turtles were in black and white so that they could be reprinted, they could be printed in sepia, they could be printed in color, they could be, you know, endlessly repackaged. But, you know, he borrowed three grand from his uncle Quentin who was the Kickstarter of 1984 <laughs> and, uh, you know, hand mailed 3000 of them to, yeah. uh, and one thing that he put, I always forget this part of the story until he reminds me, uh, Laird was a PR guy. 
like had a PR background. And he did a public he did a press release. The Ninja Turtles are coming. And it's the classic bullshit thing of this is imp- weird. You have never heard of us. You have never heard of this thing. We're going to pretend that it's important and you should have hear- heard of it. And it got picked up by the AP Newswire <laughs> that the Ninja Turtles were coming. No, but there, nobody, nobody cared. Even knew. It, was, it wasn't a thing. But like it was enough for people to go, oh, the Ninja Turtles are coming. That sounds interesting. Um, we were and so that naive kind of, in the 80s. There, there is a little bit of P.T. Barnum required for, for all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, for anything but, you do, you know, yeah. you got to sell it. You got to be able to sell it. You got to be able to get people excited about it. I mean, you can't well, just like, the, I made something awesome and then sit with it. Yeah. They expect someone the, to that, come up to you and ask, you know, that's not how I it works. I can't remember what actor said this about like appearing in big Hollywood movies. He's like, I would do the movies for free. They give me $20 million to go on the press tour. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's like the, I don't, I enjoy the making of the film. The part where I have to, the part where I have to sit in uh, morning radio places all over America, and pretend to care at five a.m. about yeah. the shock, what the shock jock thinks of my movie, that I require twenty million dollars <laughs> for, and uh, I I I totally get that. And yeah, selling isn't we're we're introverted folks in that sense. You know, I I sit in the dark cave and right by myself and don't talk to someone anyone all day and then you have to kind of splash a little cold water on your face and go and now i'm a salesman <laughs> yeah. selling used cars instead yeah. of comic books uh and that that part that part is absolutely exhausting running a kickstarter is exhausting yeah Even if, and i you know and i've never done one alone i've done them with partners and help and it's still exhausting it's it's an insane amount of work. And yep. I will say Lisa is is phenomenal because she's so competent and gifted in her ability to create content. Mm-hmm. So like her, our first run, well, everything we've ever done, like our Kickstarter campaigns look fantastic. You know, they look mm-hmm. full blown professional because she knows what she's doing and she gets in there and gets to work and makes things you want to look at and make stuff yep. you want to spend time with. And so, it makes it easy, but also as someone who was in sales forever, not that I'm proud of that, uh, but I did it. I did it. I had to do it. I put food on the table. Um, it is a lot easier to sell something good than it is to sell something that's shit. You know, <laughs> like it's like that makes all the difference. You know, it's like I'll sell Hondas, but I'm not going to sell your 1979 Ford Pinto. You know, I'm just not doing that. It's just. Right. There's no, the return on investment there just isn't, isn't there. Right. So you, just, you just need that really sexy variant cover for the Pinto. What did you say? <laughs> you just need that really sexy variant oh, cover right. for the Pinto. <laughs> right, exactly. The Pinto is a very dependable car. It, 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 very dependable car. It gets a, a bad rap. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to suffer this slander of a, <laughs> a, so a beautiful uh, Listen, automobile. Listen, I know there are people who are proud of Ford, and I appreciate that. And I'm not. If you want to ride a Pinto? I'm sure somebody will sell you one. I'm just saying, that's what I'm not going to do. That you're not I the lady for the job. On what I'm willing, on how far I'm willing to go down the, you know, what can I do to get you in this car today? You know, right. not. There's just only so much of that I'm going to be able to do. Um, and it also, if you have something that's that's really quality, well, then you can really t- talk and function on much high about, you know, focused on much higher level things than just 
you know, trying to get somebody to pay attention to what you're doing. It's like when they, when it's easy to pay attention, well, then we can really focus on like, okay, well then how do we just knock this out of the park or what have you? Mm -hmm. So it makes it, you know, it does make a big difference. All right. Well, it sounds like we're winding down a little bit here. Uh, this was a great conversation. Um, why don't we go ahead and go around the, uh, you know, the, the wheel here. Um, let us, uh, you know, know, um, who you are again, uh, uh, where to find you, um, give us, you know, where to get your wares, all that noise. Um, Charlie, why don't we start with you? We'll just go around. Uh, you can find me at Charles Stickney on Twitter. Um, at whiteashcomic.com. And uh, I guess I'm on Facebook too, but I try to stay off that a little bit. <laughs> um, I have a new Kickstarter hopefully coming out late November, mid-November, which is going to be a White Ash spinoff called Galarian, a uh, new miniseries. So we will see if uh, the art is done, that will be coming. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you guys. And also you can find me at scoutcomics.com, uh, helping creators put their books everywhere um so and uh yeah and i uh, just great to be here and everyone should pick up a copy at least two copies of hex comics i just want to say that. <laughs> thanks thanks charlie i appreciate that lindley where can we find you uh you can always find us at hexcomics.com that's h-e-x-c-o-m-i-x.com uh, we've got volume one and two out right now. Volume three is in the works. Issue 15 is in pre-order right now. So if you want to get in there to get your copy of issue 15, now's the time to do it. Uh, you can also find us on Comixology uh, and Comixology Unlimited uh, and also on Macroverse, which is cool. I don't know if you guys uh, have become aware of Macroverse, but it's great. It's a new platform that's very um, kind of iPhone friendly and it kind of gives you a almost it makes your reading experience almost animated that they've, they've created some really amazing uh, kind of flow technology that leads you through the books and they're great so we've got i think maybe the first maybe issue one completely is up there now if not we're almost there with it but we're going to start uh, transitioning all of hex 11 up there as soon as we can get it all done there's only you know so many hours in the day um and then I think that's, oh, uh, the, the interwebs. You can find us at, um, on Facebook at Hex. I think we are Hex Comics at Facebook or The Hex Comics or The Hex Comics on Instagram. And you can always find us there. Um, and then, of course, Lisa K. Weber is on Instagram as well as Kelly Sue says on Instagram. I think, I think Lisa's LK Weber, I think, on there. Um, but, yeah, I'm on there, but I don't post things. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, and I want to connect. I do, but I cannot. I, it's weird. Like Facebook just makes me mad now. Like I go to it, I'm immediately just mad. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. I love all my friends. I do. I'm, I'm friends with all of those people. Like they're real people that I know. And I just desperately want to connect with you in real life. You know, mm -hmm. I just want to do that. But so don't take my absence as a lack of love because it is not. It's just <laughs> lack of capacity <laughs> for that medium. Totally and uh, so and, and let and let me just go to bat for both those books, White Ash and Hex Eleven. They're just two of my absolute favorite comic books out there, and it's uh, it's the reason why uh, you know every chance I get, I I put a uh, uh, Charlie and Lindley in, in in front of a crowd. Um, really you. smart people uh, do really great books. Um, you should pick those up absolutely. Um, uh, Avalone, where can we find you, man? 
You can find me. Uh, that's my website, davidavalonefreelance.com. Uh, I'm lucky that I have a very easily Googleable name to find me on all of the all of your interweb related things. I I supposed to have a top secret Kickstarter starting in October sometime, but I still can't talk about it. Um, top secret. Wow. Has not been officially uh, officially launched yet. Um, but I'm part of, I'm also part of an anthology called the Nightmare Theater Anthology, which is the dream project I was talking about before. Um, and just to give you a taste of it, my father was a novelist. He told me, and he was a World War II veteran. And when I was a little boy, true story, he told me all of the classic fairy tales as World War II combat stories involving himself. Uh... (laughs) So that's awesome. Yeah. The story in nightmare theater anthology will be called German chocolate. And it is uh, a cross between Hansel and Gretel and saving private Ryan. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you (laughs) uh, with art by Sylvia Califano, who is most famous in America for uh, she does the star Trek comics for IDW, which are insanely gorgeous. Um, and it's, I learned from doing that with her that I, I, I approached some of my favorite artists who I know better previously, and I discovered that nobody wants to draw tanks. <laughs> artists, are straight lines. artists are afraid no. to draw tanks, don't want to draw tanks. So that was kind of funny. But a woman who makes her living drawing Star Trek technology perfectly so that the fans don't get enraged is perfectly fine drawing tanks and machine guns and technology from World War II. Oh, All that to say, um, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled for my, uh, the the other Kickstarter will be a COVID satire involving a character that I have, uh, rec- I have written previously, and it is called the Omega Ma'am. <laughs> nice. This makes perfect sense now, uh, Avalone, because when you were showing me the, uh, uh, you were showing me all the artist proofs for that uh, story you were talking about. All of the guys in the tank had pointed ears. I didn't know why. <laughs> it makes perfect sense now. Yes. Star Trek. Uh, yeah. On that note, uh, I am Rylan Grant. Uh, I am uh, on all forms of social media uh, at, as at Rylan Grant. R Y L E N D G R A N T. I always uh, uh, spell it out because it's not a real name and it, it needs spelling. It's also going to be down in the, uh, the comments on the uh, uh, on this video here. Uh, the show notes. Um, yeah, and like I said, uh, at the top of the, um, uh, the program, uh, my new Kickstarter for the Peacekeepers uh, is uh, in pre-launch right now. Uh, you can find that at bit.ly backslash the Peacekeepers. Uh, you know, go to the website there, uh, click on the uh, sign up for notifications link, and Kickstarter will uh, message you once that goes live. Uh, hell of a book, really proud of it. Uh, going to be tons of fun. You're going to enjoy it. Um, so if you are watching this on one of the, I think it's three now, YouTube channels uh, uh, on which we air, um, go ahead and smash that like button, subscribe. Um, if you are listening to us on iTunes or Spotify or one of those ear crack purveyors, uh, again, uh, subscribe. Uh, grab your phone, uh, your friend's phone, uh, subscribe them. Uh, leave us a, a, a five-star rating. Uh, you know, tell everyone, tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, uh, your chums, your buddies, all that noise. 
Um, we will be back next week uh, with another uh, fun, exciting, and uh, near enlightening episode. Um, so, uh, yeah, tune on in, guys. Uh, thanks, Lonely. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank it's you so much. Thank you again. Yeah. yeah good thanks for watching. Strangers. Thanks for listening, guys. All right, bye. Bye. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.